So what I'd like to do is conclude the parable of the sower. Uh, this puts us at Matthew 13, 18. <clears throat> and uh, I've also borrowed my son's contraption. Uh, because bec it's, it's a, this is a cellular telephone. Um, and I answer it by doing a thing. I touch the screen with my finger and I s sweep up. Swipe up? Thank you. And uh, because I'm driving my car sitting on the equivalent of a five-gallon pail right now, the, the, the driver's seat cracked. The car actually said, uh-oh. And now the, the, the driver's seat is no longer attached to anything except the cable of the, 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 the harness of cords. So as it sits there moving around as I'm, you know, leaning as I'm going around corners and stuff, I can still tilt it back, though, and up and make the seat adjust and things. It's just not hanging on to anything, actually. Well, it's kind of a fun ride, although it's giving me terrible back pain, I have to say, because I'm perching. It's, it's, I, I've, I've, I haven't had back pain like this for a while, um, so I'm taking... Uh, the doctor suggested that I take ibuprofen and throw a handful at my mouth. Whatever hits it is the correct dosage. And, uh, um, but I went, to, I went to the dealership um, in Cortland, which is quite a drive. Uh, and because uh, you got to, it's the whole fish hook because you got to go all the way through Cortland and then like back toward New Ulm again, you know, and, and whatnot. So, um, and they are going to, from a, what are they called now? An automotive recycling, what's the noun? Junkyard. Uh, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, uh, but a, uh, we're looking for, I'll bet you're right, Beth. I'll bet it is center. It's, but we're looking for a, what, what do they say? Uh, a gently used Dodge Caravan. I offered Chris Cushel all I have $27 in my wallet right now. I offered it all to Chris Cushel for his. And he wouldn't take the money. So let's go on with our parable, shall we? Matthew 13, beginning at verse 18, possibly uh, uh, arriving today if I start the class ever at verse 52. Um, Jesus says, so listen carefully to the parable of the sower. Um, I want to point out that in this parable, the identity of the sower is not given. Um, Jesus doesn't actually say it, but um, it, 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 we, it's clearly Christ. But isn't it also Christ using Peter and the apostles and pastors and Sunday school teachers and mommies and so forth? So uh, the gospel is sown. And what's the seed? The word of God. So that's what gets sown. Um, verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. So in the parable, who is the devil? Do you remember? No, no, no. The, 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 the parable 
in the story, in the story, who came and snatched up the seed? Birds. birds. Yeah, the birds. In the parable, the birds are the devil. Make sense? And his goblins. Yeah. Outside my window, I now have a bird feeder here at church as well as at home. So uh, I noticed something uh, the other day I've, I'd never seen before. Uh, a grown or nearly grown sparrow female sitting on the bird feeder, right? With suet in her talons. And her mommy comes and perches next to her. And what does the little, the little, the little, the, the grown teenage bird do? Sitting on the food. She opens her mouth, like, feed me here. Like, are you got to be kidding me? But uh, yeah, I'd never seen that before. Uh, uh, just anyway, sorry, I wanted to share that with you. So the problem here is not with the soil or the seed. The problem is the bird, the devil, that snatches it. And then how do I apply that to my life? Am I letting my soil be uh, the, the path where the devil hunts most freely? Maybe I should think about, because the, 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 the odd thing about this parable is that I can do something about my soil the condition of my heart. I don't have to park it next to the devil's playground or, or, or what have you. Um, so am I, um, have I taken my seedbed to a city where there's no church? Or do I keep my seedbed away from the sower with the choices I make about how I'm going to spend my Sunday mornings? Or do I listen to a preacher on TV or on the radio who concerns me with other things than the means of grace? who just takes me down rabbit holes of useless study that confuses me and starves my spirit. Um, so there are, there are choices that we make, even about where our soil will rest. If I buy land in Scotland, I can't change where that land is. Boy, I'm going to just play this up for a while now, aren't I? Okay. Um, however, with, 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 with my heart, I can plant my heart in various places. I was at a, I, I, I conducted a wedding um, at a nearby Wells Church last Saturday. And at the reception, we went to the, what's it called? Where the, 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 the where, where, where people golf in New Walmart, the, the country club, thank you. That's where their little reception was. And I was sitting with the bride's godmothers and uh, they're talking about being in Pennsylvania and in their city, they said, you know, we, they all grew up Missouri Synod, and we talked about, you know, that and so forth, because that's all anybody wants to talk to a Wells pastor about at lunch is the Missouri Synod. And, um, and they said now, though, in their town in Pennsylvania, they have, and they didn't really know the acronym, but it's an ELCA church, you know, an ELCA church. And they said, and we bet you've never heard of this. And they said, it's just called the ELS. And they said, oh, I'm sure you've never heard of it. And I said, no, I've, I've heard of that. It's you know, fine. And, and um, so we, 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 but we talked about that as well. Um, so uh, you, it, it's remarkable what you find and where does your soil get parked? Um, so this couple living where they're going to be living in Texas has a Wells Church nearby. 
And the family of the groom, the Gonzalez family, is thrilled with it, and they're happy about it, and, and this, so pretty cool. That's, you, some of you may know Kaylee Collum, Jerry's daughter. So two of Jerry's kids are married now. Okay, let's continue. Verse 20. The seed that was sown on rocky ground is the person who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he is not deeply rooted and does not endure. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he immediately falls away. So their, their joy is short-lived. And it could be trouble, could be persecution, could be a disapproving family member, could be um, a, a friend or a boyfriend or girlfriend who's jealous of Christianity and the time that one spends with God in prayer or worship, which becomes... Um, uh, it's in danger of becoming what I call a least common denominator marriage. What do I mean by that? Well, if one of the spouses wants to go to church all the time and one of the spouses is willing to go to church once in a while, what's the least common denominator? Once in a while. And if one of the spouses agrees, okay, we'll at least do what you want to do, their, their faith is being crushed, isn't it? It's eroding. It's, they're, they're not having contact with the gospel. Um, I'm going to share with you um, my father's, I think at the time, probably wise choice. So when um, uh, 79 to 84, what is that, five years? After my mother passed away, dad uh, started dating a woman who was, for all intents and purposes, uh, completely unchurched, uh, not necessarily an atheist, but totally unchurched woman who uh, lived in the in the area, and um, they so they started planning. They're, they're they're thinking about getting married and everything, and they do get married. And Dad wants to continue because my dad was heavily involved in our church. As a, when I was a boy, he was superintendent of the Sunday school. He was one of the anchors of the church choir. He led our Lutheran, he was the train master of our Lutheran Pioneers organization, you know, helped with youth group. But we were out at, and, and, and our family turned the crank on the manual spirit duplicator to make the bulletins. I don't come from a called worker family, but wow, did we do a lot of things that called worker families do or did in the old days. So we were, even though our church was 20 minutes away from our house one way, different town, you know, Poinette to Arlington, um, we were out at church probably four days a week on a typical week and six or seven days a week on, an, on, a, on a busy week. But we were out there all the time. And um, so that, that was dad's involvement in the church. Then um, my first stepmother, uh, when they got married, was trying to, I think, force him into what I would call a uh, least common denominator way of going to church. She, number one, wanted nothing to do with a Lutheran church. She wouldn't do it. Why? I think that there were issues in their, um, probably the, the arrangement they had before they got married that she was afraid the church would not approve of. Um, they're going to judge me and so forth. Um, and probably because she was also divorced, she, was, she assumed the church would judge her for that as well. Um, 
and, and so forth. So she said no. But she did say, but you know what? My folks went to a Methodist church, and if you'll switch, I'll go to church with you. I think she was giving him, you know, what am I trying to, what am, what am I, uh, I think it was more of like a bluff than an alternative. Dad called her bluff. He said, sure, if we go every week, I'll go with you. Um, his third week at the Methodist Church in Poinette, Dad became the guy in charge of their entire Sunday school program. <laughs> Nobody else knew what they were doing. I don't know of any other Methodist church that used NPH materials for their Sunday school program, but they still do, even though Dad's now retired. That was in 84. Um, and uh, 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 he ended up in... Um, Involved in their choir, he ended up as their regular guest liturgist. He essentially started serving as a, what we would call a staff minister at this church. Um, everybody just loved it that he showed up. Here's a man who's willing to do something to lead. They didn't. They had never heard of that before, at that at that church. Um, he asked me about theological questions every once in a while, um, but on, on, but until they went really off the rails a couple years ago when dad rejoined the wells, he didn't have too much of a problem with the preaching. Um, uh, I, I did, but dad didn't, and that's a different issue probably. Um, but uh, uh, so there we had that, that issue of least common denominator. I've also encountered, with regard to our the text in front of us, somebody who hears the gospel, they receive it with joy, all of a sudden they, they're going to blossom into uh, whatever, but the least little bit of shakiness, and they wither. And I found this especially when I was in the second career pastor program at Northwestern College. In those days, um, we had, oh, uh, often... Uh, five, six, seven, one year, 12 new guys show up for the second career program for, for pastors. It was a fairly new program because prior to me in my time, guys would go to Bethany for their second career program. Pastor Bovey is one of them. I don't know how many of you knew that, but he and I have that in common, except that our years are a little bit off. Pastor Bovey went to Bethany because Bethany had the program. The, a year later, Northwestern started the program, and I ended up in that program instead. Um, so I was there in the, I think it was the third year of the Northwestern program. And I was the first four-year guy in the second career program. The other guys were all two-year guys. Um, so uh, Joel Radzik and uh, Dan Schmidt and Paulie Sullivan and uh, Bob Green were ahead of me. Um, and... 15 other guys who didn't make it through the program. Though I just listed all the graduates because I was the fifth, the fifth guy to make it all the way through. What's the difference between those that can get by with only two years and those that have to go four? If they had a degree somewhere else, yeah, yeah. Um, some of the men who were in the program with me who also signed up for a four-year program um, they came in and they said, whatever happens, I don't want there to be a difference between me and all other pastors. So even though it was not required of them, they signed up to take 
in their first year Latin, German, and Greek, and a full load of other classes. You know, and I show up and I sign up for Fayed, you know, and Shakespeare, and the art class, and uh, and uh, and what we used to call cruismatics. Coach Jerry Cruz taught an algebra class, and uh, I'm recording. I won't say anything else about that, but I got a pretty good grade in that class by request. And uh, um, and and I and I took first year Greek, and no other languages, and I excelled at Greek, and the other guys were constantly failing Greek quizzes because they were trying to keep up their Latin and their German grades. And I thought, what are you doing? And these guys, uh, two of them in particular, were really good friends of mine. Um, I'll just call them Jim and Jeff, but they were wonderful, wonderful men, uh, both married, um, fine uh, uh, backgrounds in Christianity. I believe both Baptist in their background, in their upbringing. Then they had met Wells pastors, had converted to the Wisconsin Synod with the Bible information class, and right away said, I want to be a pastor here because you guys have the truth. Then they went to Northwestern. After being a convert for less than a year, and then and here they are. Um, they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and yet not deeply rooted and does not endure. One of the barriers that they often faced, and my, one of my best friends in school, uh, I'll just call him Danny, also had this issue, so all the way through, his wife thought we were kidding when we said, there's four years of seminary yet to go. And she kept saying, yeah, right. She couldn't imagine that to be the case. Then we graduated, and all of a sudden, he's doing financial aid applications for seminary, and she said, you mean you were telling the truth all this time? Yeah, we were telling you the truth all this time. There's four more years of seminary, and she threatened to leave him. She you know, essentially said, I'm going back down to our home. Either you can come with me or you can go to the seminary. Well, what's the poor guy going to do? Fortunately, the bank he had let, he was a vice president of a bank. They um, pulled out the chair again for him. They let him right back in to another vice presidency um, at the bank. One had opened up and they... They wanted him back no matter what. Um, uh, so he did that. But it was often a case of uh, how can you tell uh, your new wife, you've been married maybe two years, and I'm going to drop everything and I'm going to do this for six or eight years, you know, back to school. They're still paying off her student loans, maybe even his. And it's tough. It's very, very tough. And some of those guys, one guy in my class had sold his farm. And he thought, Dad always said, if you can't be a farmer, then maybe you can be a pastor. And he sold his farm. That was their attitude about it, that uh, education-wise, you know, doctor, lawyer, and then dock worker, you know, soldier, farmer, and then at the bottom was minister. You know, the family figured no education necessary. Just say you want to do it and you'll just slide right in. And he came in and he, he struggled along with Greek for a couple of weeks and was just lost. Um, the doctrine class 
he was just lost. Um, he did pretty good in, um, he didn't, they didn't make him take Fayette, but he did pretty good in math and things like that. But he, he, he just, he was just, he was just completely confused by, by Doctrine 101. You know, he said, I think I had this as a kid, but do I have to know it again? And, uh, but I'm glad that he had waited to retire to sell his farm. You know, he didn't sell, you know, he was of, of an age where he was basically in retirement. And I think the college even refunded him almost everything. You know, but, but uh, scary things like that. But that was my experience with classmates coming in and, and dropping away. Two of us in my class made it all the way through four years. Danny stopped at the end of the fourth year because his wife gave him an ultimatum. And Carl and I went on to the, to the seminary and he lasted a month at the seminary. So of everybody in my class, I'm the only one who made it all the way through. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. You know. Several of them told me, if you're smart, you'll get out too. Well, I was too dumb to get out. So delighted to be where I am. Delighted to be. By the way, what's the intention of the sower as he's sowing the seed in the parable? Does he want the seed to get eaten by the birds and to, and to get choked and everything? The intention of the sower is that the seed will sprout and grow. Sprout and grow. Exactly, sprout and grow. Yeah. The thorny. The seed that was sown among the thorns is the one who hears the word, but the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. It produces no fruit. Um, and the thorns could be other things as well, but yeah, the worry of the world, also greed, wealth, lust, need, need, need. Today, with many, need has transformed into power, power, power. Um, that's what people are looking for. A heart that wants to be in control of everything cannot believe that God is in control. Where is this especially a danger? In democracies all over the world. Why? Because if I disagree about something, I should be able to vote about it. It's, it's almost a danger of democracies because our people begin to think that if we vote for things in government, we should vote for everything in church, including doctrine. And now people are beginning to see some churches voting on doctrine. Where does that come from? Um, terrible uh, uh, thought and idea, but it gets acted out as people begin to vote on doctrine. So two extremes, um, the thorns that choke a faith, worry and mistrust, the mistrust that God won't take care of me, or trusting in wealth or power or luck instead of on God. Sunday morning, Oh, I got plenty of time for this. Sunday morning, uh, I was about to go up for eight o'clock church, and the church phone rang, and it was the hospital calling us. Um, there's a woman here who needs to talk to a pastor, and I thought, okay, you know, but of course it's not a matter of put her on, you know, it's will you come? Uh, why does the hospital? And she's not, by the way, not not a Wells, not a Lutheran. Why does the hospital call us? Because we come, yeah. And I was only here to worship. 
you know, so, okay, you know, I, I can worship later in the day or whatever, so I went. Um, and uh, here's a woman who was on, I don't know how many tubes, not breathing very well. I could barely hear her whispering. Um, unusual name. She was from a city called, it's uh, south of here, south of Lake Crystal, Thunder. Good Thunder, right? Kind of southish of Lake Crystal over there. Um, over and to the right as I'm uh, managing. Um, so I, I don't know why they brought her up here. They could, should, couldn't she have gone to Mankato? Maybe it was an issue of beds or something. I don't know or, or wherever, but it didn't, it wasn't looking great. And I found out through just being silent. So that was a Sunday morning. There's not a lot of uh, stuff going on in the hallway at the hospital. And I made out that she was worried about her special needs handicapped son. What if I die? What'll happen to him? Her husband is long dead. And by the way, her second husband, she had an earlier marriage and had <clears throat> uh, several, I never found out how many, uh, not only grown children, but children like my age, you know, grown mature. Most people my age are grown-ups. Not all of us are. Um, and, uh, but she was worried about her younger child who's still at home and, you know, and... Uh, but her, but her husband was dead, and I said, but do you have a will? And she said, and she told me, uh, I won't imitate her whispering, but I found out that her lawyer had just died, like last week. And so she hadn't gotten the will to a new lawyer about her present condition. Uh, you know, her husband's not dead that long, and, 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 and so she's worried about a couple things. In my mind, I'm putting together an outline of what do we have to pray for? You know, that's kind of what I'm doing as I'm talking to somebody. What are the things we have to pray for? And I realize it's not just, um, in my case, I think I shouldn't just be praying for these things. I think I have to give her guidance. And, and so we decided to, I made a three-point outline then of what we do. And, I, and I, so I was delighted that as far as her spiritual life, um, she was confident in her Savior knew that her sins are forgiven, she's going to heaven. So her soul's okay, right? Her body, she has a diagnosis. The physicians are concerned. She's not sure she has that long to live, but she's content except for her son. So spirit, body, and now we have, I'll say peace of mind, is the thing that's in the way. And so I said, of your grown children, Who's the one you trust to get things done? And she looked at me and then she smiled and she said one of her son's names. And I said, call him today. And I said, put the burden of the will of finding a new mediator and finding a lawyer, put that burden on that son. Then what will happen? It'll be off of her mind. So that was it. That was, she realized that getting him involved, the, the get things done child will be the one to get involved with this. He'll find a lawyer, you know, and they'll work with this and so forth. But it'll, the ball will be rolling and the family will know the intent. And legally, that's the important thing at this point with regard to who will, really, because it becomes uh, uh, who will take care of this special needs younger brother and, you know, and finding a, maybe a group home or, or whatever will happen but it's, that's essentially it. 
make one of your other children responsible in some fashion. Did I do okay? We read, I read most of Mark 1, which is uh, after the baptism of Jesus, it's just miracle after miracle after miracle. After miracle, we did the healing miracles, read Psalm 62, my soul finds rest in God alone, and then I read the eights, the cycle of eights. Um, you've never heard me say that before, have you? I call it the cycle of eights. When I go to the hospital and you don't know what the person's issue is, um, I start with Psalm 8, and then I read the multiples of 8. So 8, 16, help me. 24, 32, I usually stop about there. But that, for whatever reason, in an emergency, those are pretty good go-to psalms for in the hospital like that. So I just call it the cycle of 8s. Um, and in my use Bible, yes, I have them circled because I never want to do math in public. Get it wrong, you know. You don't want to be reading, you know, dash their heads against the stones, you know, or something like that. So you've got a couple of imprecatory psalms in there. So, okay. Let's go to the good soil. Another minute here. But the seed that was sown on the good ground is the one who continues to hear and understand the word. Indeed, he continues to produce fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times more than was sown. Are those all good outcomes? Sure, a hundred times, sixty times, thirty times. Wouldn't, what if thirty were the only number Jesus gave here? Would thirty be a wow? Yeah, but he also says sixty, so you think, ooh, you know, and and then a hundred, and you're like, huh? And uh, I'd be delighted if it were, you know, double. <laughs> but he's, he doesn't give twice. He gives, he may, you know, that we start with 30 and so forth. Um, so, and how many, maybe I should even ask even how many of you have nieces, nephews, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren? How many souls after yours? Maybe it's not 30 yet. But maybe if you got to count great-great-great-grandchildren or the people you've, whose lives you've touched, you know, you teachers. I won't ask the three of you here who were not teachers to raise your hands, but everybody else basically was. So um, uh, uh, how many lives? Uh, uh, what kind of a, of, a, of, a, of a harvest, an amazing harvest of souls do you have? All right. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.